Welcome to another edition of the Insert SEO Podcast, where we paint the town red with search marketing insights. Great, great show for you today, as we have the one and the only founder of Client Boost, Jonathan Dane, joins us to share his wisdom on how to optimize those landing pages for Google Ads, how to set up your landing pages for optimal Google Ads performance, how to get users to click that CTA once they move from an ad to your site and ad copy or landing page copy, how to align it all, how to optimize it, and where to start. Plus, how does Google know which health content is quality and which health content is quack? I am your host, Morty Oberson. I am joined by the munificent, the didactic, Sapir Carabello. Aw, super sweet introduction, as always. Thank you, Morty. You basically told me (laughs) I have to do that or you're going to be angry at me, so now I'm forced to do that. I don't really mean it. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, I <laughs> mean, <laughs> uh, if pleasantries are your thing, then that's good enough. <laughs> Do not forget, we put out a new episode of the In Search SEO podcast each and every Tuesday. You can find it on the Rank Ranger blog. You can find it on Stitcher, on Spotify, on SoundCloud, and you can subscribe on iTunes. That was all in one breath. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. I'm talented, huh? <laughs> <laughs> also, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but right. August is slowly ebbing away. <gasps> And summer is almost over. No. And so is our super savings on Rank Ranger packages. So sign up before August 31st to yes. claim your savings. Yeah. 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 Okay. Some really cool, some really novel stuff today. Uh, chatted with Jonathan Dane all about those landing pages tied to your Google Ads. We went really, really deep into how you should handle content for your landing pages, CTAs, and more. But before that, I've got something pretty cool for you. So, for those of you who listen to this podcast regularly, or if you read my blog posts... You should. Right, because I was not elected to read. I was elected to lead. It's <laughs> not the Simpsons movie. Who reads anymore, right? And I write, like, really long blog posts. So yeah. I read it. You read it? Yeah. Yeah, it was the last one I wrote. Well, <laughs> that one. Um, so, if you follow what I talk about, which I thank you for doing, if you are. Um, one of the things you'll know is I like to talk about this idea that Google can sort of profile your site, meaning it qualitatively, in a sense, as much as a machine can, knows who your site is, what you do, if you do it well, and so forth. Okay, But I want to talk to you about today is the process that I think might be uh, behind all this, what makes it all work, so to speak. So if you're familiar with the concept of site profiling already, This will help you clarify a few things. And if you're not familiar with the idea of site profiling, this is a really concrete way to understand it. So it's applicable to all. New, old, here you go. So if you'll follow me, please, let's go down this SEO wormhole. Okay, so last week, the, um, the great uh, Marie Haynes and SEO great posed the following question on Twitter. She said, let's say Google actually is getting better at determining whether a page's content is not in line with general scientific consensus. How do you think they do that? Good question, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to try to explain how I think that happens. Um, what I want to do is explain how I think it happens and then show some of the things that Google's John Mueller has said that I think will become very much illuminated based upon what I'm going to say 
um, is how I think Google works, understanding good quality health content versus bad quality health content. Of course, this applies across the board, not just to health content, but to all content. Um, and why health content in particular we so focus on that, that's a story for another time. Uh, I have a blog post coming out on that. And <laughs> whatever my content calendar says, I don't remember anymore. But that's a separate question. That, there's a lot of myths about that. Why Google's focusing YMYL, your money, your life. But another time. Okay. Are you ready? I was born ready. What does that mean? <laughs> I'm just ready. ready. Like, what does that mean? Like, you're ready to first of ready for what? You came out like a fork and knife in your hands. I'm ready to eat. Okay, I want you to close your eyes. All my unless you're driving and listening to this, and you should not close your eyes. But if (laughs) so, I want you to close your eyes. Take a deep breath. Breathe in. Breathe out. What the heck are you doing? Trying to get. You should see him right now. He's like. I'm trying to get the creative juices flowing. Moment ruined, by the way. Thank you. (laughs) Take two. I want you to close your eyes unless you're driving. Uh, take a deep breath, breathe in, breathe out. And I want you to imagine okay, that you could look at a site and all of the content it ever produced, all the pages, all the titles, all the headers, all the phraseology, all the links. Now imagine you can catalog this information, analyze it, classify it, systemize it, pick out patterns and trends and tendencies of all of the content that was indexable on a website. Now imagine... That you could do this with all sorts of similar content uh, from all sorts of similar sites, analyzing and cataloging and picking up on trends and and so forth. Okay, so you can see how sites behave and act vis-a-vis the content they produce. Okay, now imagine, not to be repetitive at all. Now imagine <laughs> you can compare it all, all the different takes and styles, um, all of the uh, all of the ways that a site may talk about a topic from all sorts of sites and you can analyze them all together. Imagine you can, in other words, compare all sorts of sites and how they handled content for the very same topic. Okay, now imagine if you had a baseline to compare it all to. One site, one site to rule them all. One site <laughs> of, of content that you know is supremely authoritative on a given topic. One site you know you can trust whose content um, you un- and you know that is, is, is applicable and is relevant and is good and is solid and you analyze the patterns for that site. They're, the way they use language and their headers and their links and their this and their that. And you catalog it and you analyze and you systemize all of the content that this one really authoritative site wrote on a topic. Now imagine... what you will learn about the various sets of contents, the various sites when you compare them um, to this one uber-authoritative take on the topic. Okay, in other words, imagine it like this, okay? You You looked at one site who you knew was awesome on a particular topic, and you understood what makes it awesome. What makes this, how do I know what's authoritative? What about it is authoritative? What can I what can I see? What kind of language do they use? What kind of language trends do they use? What sort of um, maybe even UI trends does this site use? Because I know they're super authoritative. And what are they doing? And you analyze what they're doing, and you picked out these five things that this super authoritative site is doing with their language. Let's say, and then you compared it to other sites who wrote about the very, very same topic. And you analyze this one site, this, you compared it rather to this one site that you know is really good. And do these other sites align to that? Or are they doing something different? Okay. In other words, if you did this, you'd have a pretty good idea of who's on target, who's mainstream, 
and who's using language that's maybe a bit peculiar, a bit out of place um, for how a serious take on the matter at hand is usually presented. You, you follow me here? You're talking about machine learning? Bingo. Yes. Okay. We often forget that Google's most powerful weapon is its breath, not breath. <laughs> B-R-E-A-D-T-H. Uh. Okay. Google has no breath. <laughs> and if it did, it'd be smelly. Oh no! Why, why would I don't you know. say that? How would you know? It Google has a it has a bird's eye view, okay, of of both your content and of content of similar sites, and that's really its greatest strength. It can understand everything that's out there on a particular topic, basically. All right, so once Google has a baseline, right? Once it has a site it knows it can trust, it can work with, or most likely, or not most likely, most definitely a set of sites. So let's say for health sites, it understands that you know WebMD and the Mayo Clinic and the Cleveland Clinic and all these other you know, websites for these big major institutions. Those are authoritative websites on health. Okay, so it knows these sites, it can trust these sites, it can work with these sites, and then imagine Google made use of this breadth of information that it has by using those hyper-authoritative sites to determine if other sites fit the profile of what authority and good content look like for that topic or for that type of site. Get so, it? so you mean Google takes a set of sites it can rely on and uses it to learn what good content for that topic or type of site is? And just sees if other sites or pages align to that mold. Yeah, yeah, it's a mold. Yeah, yeah, mm. okay, it's a good way to think about it, right? It's a mold, right? right? In other words, you can call it creating a, a, a profile for what content on that topic looks like, what it sounds like, and then profiles other sites to see if it fits that bill or not, if it fits that mold. That's a good mm. way of putting it, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Right? You just, if you did this, you'd be able, you would be able, if you looked at all this content and you understood what good content is for a particular topic by looking at really authoritative sites and seeing if other sites align to what these really authoritative sites are doing, you would be able to create a pretty good profile of what content on this topic looks like and should be like. Okay? Um, and you should, you would have a good sense or a good way of, imagine you knew this. Imagine you personally knew every single page on a particular topic, right? You would be able to, to, to offhand tell me, right? Yes, when a, a site talks about this topic, it usually tends to do this. It usually tends to talk about it this way. It usually tends not to talk about the topic that way. And it usually discusses it like this and like that. And that's what Google is doing, right? It's taking authoritative sites, creating a baseline, and understanding what content for this topic sounds like, okay? And I'm going to quote a piece of um, an SE Roundtable article on something that John Mueller said, and you'll see how it all fits right in. Okay, you ready? Mm -hmm. To quote the article. In short, quoting Barry Schwartz, to quote, John said, meaning John Mueller, John said, if a search engine has an overview of most of the web, of most of the web, I'll say that again, it can hypothetically, meaning it's doing this, see which type of content is reasonable for which types of verticals. So if you're comparing a diabetes health site to another, maybe if Google has indexed 500 similar sites, it can understand what a user should expect to see from such a site. He then explains, meaning John, that maybe it is about specific subtopics on that site. Maybe it is all about showing more or fewer images. Maybe it is about what content is on the site overall. <laughs> what does that sound like to you? Pretty much 
exactly like what you just said. <laughs> it's pretty much what I just said, right? <laughs> right? First off, he said, we're not just looking at particular specific pages, but what content, I'll read it again, but maybe it is about what content is on the site overall, meaning it's all about authority of the site. So you may have a really great page on your site, but if your rest of your content stinks and is spammy, mm -hmm. Google's not going to trust that one good page. And yes, Google said, right? We see, which type of content is reasonable for which types of verticals? Right, And Barry even goes with the health example. So if you're comparing a diabetes health site to another, maybe if Google is index 500 similar sites, it can understand what a user should expect to see from such a site. Meaning Google's looking at the Mayo Clinic, the Cleveland Clinic, and whatever, and saying, when you talk about cancer, this is how it should sound like. This is what the heading should be like. This is, how, this is what we should expect the user to, to learn and to hear and to see. The linguistic feel should be X. So if your site sounds like why, that's a problem. That's a red flag. Why are you not sounding when you talk about cancer like the Mayo Clinic, mm -hmm. right? Most likely because you're whatever, okay? <laughs> okay, so I don't want to mislead anybody. Um, I think the process is a little bit more complicated than the way I'm describing it. And I'm sure it includes all sorts of other workings and, and doings and, and doohickeys. Um, what, but what, what, what? Doohickeys? Doohickeys. <laughs> what? Doohickeys. <laughs> What's the matter? You don't like my word choice all of a sudden? Do hickeys. Listen, I'm not sure what you mean by all of a sudden, <gasps> but yeah, get back to your point. I'm going to completely ignore the insult. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to stick with do hickeys because ah. that's, that's, a, that's a very technical term that I like. Very technical. Very technical. Very. <laughs> okay, so, so we're staying on target, so I don't know what yeah. you're doing. Okay. So besides the process being a lot more complicated than I'm, the way I'm describing it, I'm sure it includes a lot of other workings and other sorts of doohickeys. Okay? I, I don't think, because I know I'm talking about like, Google looking at content. I don't think it looks at content the way you would normally think that a search engine looks at content. Like when I say Google's looking at all the pages and all the titles and all the headers and all the phraseology, I don't mean it's looking at keywords. Okay, that's so simplistic. Google's not looking at keywords. Oh, you're using this keyword, the Mayo Clinic, and this other site's using a different keyword. So, of course, the Mayo Clinic is better. It's not looking at keywords. Okay? Mm -hmm. I think that, that Google's trying to set up a profile. In other words, Google is looking um, not at the keyword per se, but how the language is used. Language trends, let's call it. Okay? What sort of linguistic tendencies maybe? does the page or the site really tend to use? What sort of linguistic tendencies do the authoritative sites in the baseline tend to use? And do, those, do they align? Get it? Mostly. Mostly. Um, okay, okay. Okay, say so you do a, a health-related query, right? And you go to the site. Mm -hmm. you, go, you, 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 do a, you go to Google, you look for something related to health. Right. And you do a search. Like, that's how you say that simply. You do a search for a health-related <laughs> keyword. God, I got that out, right? How do you tell if the content on the, on, in the result or even if you go to the page? Okay, how do you know? How do you, you know. Everyone knows. Once you get to the page, you know. This is a little bit spammy. Or if you go to a page and you're like, okay, this is really solid. How do you know the difference? You mean like when a certain word or phrase appear again and again on a certain page? Yeah, so definitely. If you go to a web page, right, you see this like, I don't know, let's say you're looking at something about cancer. 
right? And you just like see like the word is being used in a really weird way, which would indicate keyword. It's not natural, right? So that's keyword stuffing. It's a very spammy practice. Mm-hmm, yes, yeah, like that's mm-hmm. a low. That's definitely a low quality signal. Okay, let me let me let me show you how I think Google like does it in a little more depth. Okay. Okay. Like it's basically, I'm gonna. It's a very simple example I'm going to use. It's sort of like amateur hour, the SEO, uh, in search SEO podcast. So while it might be what I'm about to show you might be a little bit of an oversimplification, you'll you'll get the point. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, what I did was okay. Here, here are the top articles. You can do a site search um for under the Mayo Clinic. Okay. Here's what you get. And don't be smart. I'm just going to read these off one for one. Don't be smart with me about this. Here's what you get when you search for cancer on the Mayo Clinic site. Here are the top articles or the top results. Okay. Okay. From that one site. I'm going to read them off. Cancer. Symptoms and causes. Esophageal cancer. Symptoms and causes. Vaginal cancer. Symptoms and causes. Next article. Pancreatic cancer. Symptoms and causes. Cancer treatment. Next article. Cancer rehabilitation. Next article, when cancer returns, how to cope with cancer recurrence. Next one, bladder cancer, symptoms Symptoms and and causes. causes. Breast cancer, symptoms Symptoms and and causes. causes. Cancer causes, popular myths about the causes of cancer. Okay, now here's what you get when you search for um, the word cancer, site search for another famous site. Okay. Okay, here we go. Uh, First result, does the metabolic approach to cancer treatment really work? Metabolic therapy for cancer treatment. Cancer is a metabolic disease. Cancer, forbidden cures. <laughs> cancer rates declining, but cancer incidence is still rising. How the cancer industry deceives you with cancer drugs. 2008 cancer advances actually make cancer worse. Chemo could spread disease and create more aggressive tumors. It's not a tumor. <laughs> Seven principles of cancer treatment. Last one. Notice anything different here between yeah. the, the ones in the Mayo Clinic and the ones I just read off? For sure. Okay. I mean, one uses more straightforward titles that, you know, sort of indicate what you're going to get when you actually click on the link, right? Yeah. But the other uses kind of long, kind of weird phrases that you don't yeah. you actually have no idea what the actual content of the page is. Okay. You're with the, the, the second site, which, by the way, is a very famous site, famous for being hit by a court update Ooh. and for authoring health advice that's a bit off the beaten path. Uh, I'm not going to say who it is, but there's only really one or two guesses <laughs> if you're following these sort of things in the SEO news, okay? But... It, <laughs> If the Mayo Clinic is the baseline site, and it is with Google, I mean, it's definitely one of them because Google for its health panel partners up with the Mayo Clinic. Do you think it's hard to tell, or for Google, do you think it's hard for them to tell something smells off with the other site when it's using, um, when it sees titles like um, cancer, forbidden cures? <laughs> Like there's obviously something a little bit extra that doesn't smell right. right when you're using language like that. When you're adding in this other what we call the modifiers or descriptors or whatever you want to call them, that are not what you would typically expect to see from a super hyper authoritative website simply trying to offer you cancer information. Okay. Right, right. By the way, I'm not saying you can't have a site that talks about you know other sort of you know non traditional treatments. Right, mm-hmm. and that would be spamming. That's not what I'm saying at all. Like I would expect if you had a whole list of sites, say alternative treatments to cancer, treatments you may not have known about for cancer, right? Um, best alternative treatments for cancer, uh, medically approved alternative treatments for cancer, right. as opposed to cancer forbidden cures. <laughs> right? I would imagine that site would all things being equal rank well. 
And by the way, Google would also know it's an alternative medicine site from the way that it uses language as well. But it would also know that it's a good site. Right? I'm, right, not, I'm right. not trying to um, you know, bash alternative medicine, not at all. In fact, my wife is a nurse and she actually likes alternative medicine. Um, homeopathic medicine, like, uh, you know, home, like, you know, herbs and stuff. Oh, right, yeah, right. That stuff. Um, so I'm not saying that at all. Yeah. We're good? Yes. Okay. So the last thing I want to do is I want to, I want to, okay. I want to mention that Google looks beyond, I want to make sure you, we realize that Google looks beyond the actual language per se. Because I know I'm focusing a lot on language, but I'm only using the language example here, the titles, for example, the, the H1s that I showed you. Because it's just easier to do in a in a ten minute podcast segment, right, right? Right. Okay. But if you look at one last thing that John Mueller said, I think it looks at way beyond language and to other sort of um, more holistic things like design and that sort of thing. Okay. okay. Here, listen to this. Um, again, this is a quote from John Mueller. This is the actual quote that the um, the that what Barry wrote is based on. Okay. Okay. I do not know. I probably would have to think about that a bit to see. What we would what would work well for me? I mean, it, it is something where if you have an overview of the whole web or kind of a large part of the web and you see which type of content is reasonable for which types of content, then that is something where you could potentially infer from that. Like from for this particular topic, we need to cover these subtopics. We need to add this information. We need to add these images or fewer images on a page. That is something that perhaps you can look at something like that. I'm I'm sure our algorithms are quite a bit more complicated than that. So it's not just content. Like Google knows for this type of content, you need to have an image there. Like I would say for recipes, you have to have an image or a video there. It's looking at well beyond just the language per se and the format of the content. I would go so far to say is your design. For you have you can have a design that's very much a, a typical of what you would expect to see for a commerce page. A lot of CTAs, a lot of buttons, right? A lot of links, maybe. Which you wouldn't expect to see that on an informational page. And if you see that on an informational page, that's a red flag for Google. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking like, like profiling, like not just what the Mayo Clinic is writing, but how it structures its pages even, right? Mm-hmm. And again, this applies not just to health content, but applies to really all content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, mm-hmm. just the health, it's just really easy to see it. Okay. So from Google profiling uh, pages to the best ads, the best Google ads landing pages, let's turn the keys to the car over to the great Jonathan Dane as we take a look at Google ads landing page optimization. Cut one. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another In Search SEO podcast interview session. Today, we're fortunate enough to have a serious PPC expert for you. He's the founder of Client Boost and Growth Comet. Um, he's an expert on all things conversions and PPC. He is the great Jonathan Dane. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I like that intro. That's pretty impressive. No, th- I'm here to flatter. <laughs> so I have to ask you one: What does Client Boost do? What does Growth Comment do? And how in the world did you have time? And yeah. do you have time for both? Um, so, so Client Boost is our agency. We're about sixty people. We're um, we're a pay per click. So think Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. Uh, a lot of people think like pay per click and paid social are different. I call them the same thing. Uh, it's just easier from an umbrella term perspective. Um, and then we also focus on the conversion rate optimization. Um, and so we have in-house CRO designers that are understanding the type of traffic, um, what makes them more likely to convert, what doesn't. And so we kind of have this one-two punch uh, of an agency that's doing really, really well. Um, we just hit the four-year mark, too. Um, so doing quite well there. And then um, Growth Comet is a little uh, side project with, uh, with Ross Hudgens down in 
uh, Siege Media. Uh, I say down because he's in San Diego, which is south of, of here. And uh, him and I got together because we were getting quite a few people wanting to pay us for consulting or just ask us questions about how we got into the point of we are, the size that we are uh, in a relatively you know quick time. And we were thinking, well, you know, we, we both like money. What if we, <laughs> instead of using our own individual time, you know, our, about our, our uh, consulting, we, we get together, we record some videos, we go through the entire process of what we've done to grow our agency, and then we scale it that way. So we got like 60, 60 students in like the first launch, and that was with only the first three months finished because we kind of did that as a test. Right, right. Um, and uh, we were like, well, if they like that, then we can finish months, you know, four through 12 after. And so uh, we're almost done with all the editing with the, with the entire year. Now we can go a little bit more aggressive with it. So, yeah, those are the, those are the two things I have, have running right now. Wow, that's really interesting. That's really cool. I mean, I wish I used to be a teacher back in the day. I wish I could do this, like, you know, sort of a, uh, I'll record some videos. You all sit there quietly. <laughs> that's a great way to do it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so let's sort of combine both of your passions to talk about PPC and converting and conversions. Uh, we'll mm -hmm. we'll sort of see how you can make sure your PPC is converting because that's really the entire point, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So let me. I have a million questions about landing pages. Um, I guess you can call it like landing page optimization for for ads, or I don't know how you want to title this this uh, interview that here. Works. Yep. We'll see how it goes, and we can title it afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> that's the beauty of this. So let me ask you, okay. Does a landing page for a Google ad have to convert? Is, is, is every ad meant to convert? It, it doesn't. Uh, in our world with the clients that we work most with, like we, we are heavily focused on direct response advertising. And so if we can't prove that you know, money is being made, then we're not really making it worthwhile for the client to keep paying us. But on the other hand, there are um, plenty of advertisers out there, even big names that only are focusing on like impressions engagement on the ad side and then even like engagement on the landing page side without any like clear action like no need to purchase no need to fill out a form no need to download anything so it does happen but um i think it's more reserved for uh the bigger companies and the bigger spends out there i mean a company would really be willing to spend money on, on impressions 100 percent, yeah like people like this is this is not in in, in yours or, or or my world right now but companies basically you know have these budgets and i've seen inside of uh uh, double click accounts, which is now um, rebranded from Google side, but it's basically like the mothership version of um, advertising where you can use one platform to like advertise in Facebook and Google. And you can see the journeys of how people like interact together. But many of these advertisers are basically have a predetermined budget that they need to spend because if they don't spend it, their department won't get that budget next year or next quarter. And so they're just looking for eyeballs. So they're just looking for, for impressions sometimes. Okay, so I get that makes a lot of sense. Okay, the second side to this, before I really get into the landing pages and the conversions and in, in, in depth and detail, is so I've seen a lot of ads, uh, a lot of Google ads, where you click on the ad and it takes you to a homepage, which I always found mm -hmm. peculiar. I was wondering if you can sort of help us out here and to sort of explain: Does it ever make sense to um, to link your ad to a to a homepage versus a landing page specifically designed yeah. for the ad? Um, it does sometimes. And a lot of times what we found is that depending on the type of traffic, if it's, um, let's say it's, you know, a brand keyword they're bidding on, like your own brand name, taking them to the homepage, because if you're an e-commerce store and the, the, the keyword search might've had like some intent behind it, like it might be a category of products you're selling or the product itself. So you can take them to the category page or the product page. But if they're just searching for your brand name, like your company name, going to the homepage can make a ton of sense. Um, in addition to that, 
a lot of times where the decision um, to convert is a pretty big one, kind of like if you were to work with us, for example, you probably want to see more than just a landing page. You probably want to see, you know, who we are, if we have any accolades, if we have a blog, is it kept up to date? Like all these little things, because we're, you know, marketers ourselves, like, are we keeping all those things in check? So what we found is that our better conversion focus is actually sending people to our homepage hmm. than sending to like a landing page that's trying to isolate the person to do a certain action. So when the, when the, I guess like the, the lifetime values are, are bigger, there's more money at stake. Sometimes landing pages do not work as well. So that's interesting because I would have thought that if you're doing a brand query for whatever brand that it is and you end up in their homepage, that that wouldn't convert because the, the person is really looking for information. They're not really looking to buy anything at that point. It, you, exactly. So if they're looking for information, then the homepage is a great spot to do that. Like if right. they're searching for your brand name, you might know what type of information they're looking for. In our situation, are they looking for Google? Are they looking for Facebook help? Are they looking for landing page help? You know, we don't know. And uh, unless they, you know, give a longer search with, with more intent behind it, you know, until then we're going to have to keep using the homepage. In such a situation where you do link to the, to the homepage and it's for a brand query, is that an ad that you do expect to convert? It can. I mean, it depends on how good and how much you care about getting conversions from your homepage for us and our entire website. It's very set up in a simple way with like one call to action. It's right front and center everywhere you go, you know, header or footer as well. There's the same call to action. Um, so we do expect it. We're seeing that ourselves too. But again, it, it really depends on the business and what their goals are too. If they're looking for somebody who just, they, they're happy with somebody spending X amount of seconds on the website or the homepage or, you know, pages per session, or even like, you know, analytics will give you these smart goals that are, uh, you know, sometimes unfortunate to use, but they're, they're basically like, you know, time on site or pages per session and things like that. You can import those into your Google ads account and then track those as conversions if you want. But obviously for people who care about making money, it, it might not be the best thing to do. Got it. Okay. So I, I feel like we have a strong base and we can move forward now into the actual nitty gritty of dealing with your landing page um, vis-a-vis your Google ads. All right. So let me just ask um, a universal question first. How much of your conversion <laughs> do you think is dependent on Google ads? It's the, the, the ad copy itself, the title, the description and so forth versus the landing page connected to it. Or is it like one of those, it depends. Uh yeah, it, so so I, I'll help you out because I think I can make it a little bit more black and white. So honestly, from what we've seen, and this actually happens over on the Facebook side too, is that the ad is simply the bridge between the targeting and the call to action. So the two outer points, the audience or the keyword or the, or the targeting that you're using and the offer and the call to action are the two most important aspects. So the ad, like you can, you can screw that up pretty bad. We've done some tests where we purposely uh, misspelled repeated words in there just to kind of see if we still would have the high click through rate that we would. And we did. So the ad itself, what we, from what we found does not matter that much. Like you do not obsess that much with that. Um, now if you're doing like, let's say call only ads or, or lead, lead, um, form ads on Facebook, for example, where there is no landing page, then the importance increases for them for sure. Interesting. Is that, is that, is that dependent upon the description having a spelling mistake like that? The title, did it matter? Did it not matter? Or just anywhere? Mostly, mostly people don't read the entire ad. <laughs> Same thing read. With, uh, with landing pages. Uh, they'll scan. And, um, and so like the headline, like headline one is probably the most important piece of real estate to get right. Whereas everything else you can kind of like be a little bit more lazy about if you wanted to and still get you know, decently good results. Interesting. And really it's really good. hard. The other, the other thing too, you got to keep in mind is that when you're testing ad copy, for example, what a lot of people do is that they test 
you know, individual ads within an ad group. And so they don't get a lot of data around the same test across different types of keywords. And that's problematic because that lift that you might see in that new ad that you're testing might not actually be from the ad copy. It could be the different types of audiences coming through potentially. It could be the different types of search terms coming through that are different from the keyword. And so it's really, really hard to isolate you know, one factor making an improvement or worsening performance. And that's why doing what we call like multi-ad group ad testing is uh, is better and more secure for like having the confidence and also the predict- predictability that this is actually going to be performing better or worse across the board. So let me let me ask you that. Okay, so let's so say you have your ad copy, you have your ad, your title, your description, everything is great. And then you head over to your landing page. And so you're saying the ad copy doesn't matter, and the copy doesn't matter so much, but let's say you show up, let's say the user enters whatever keyword it is, and they show up on the landing page, and the keyword's not there. There's a similar term. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like you're, you're you know, out of the ballpark. It's whatever, if you're talking about you know, chocolate fudge yeah. brownies, you don't have chocolate fudge brownies, you have chocolate whatever it is, whatever you want to, another synonym yep. for brownie. It's a horrible yeah. example, but <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't think of it on the top of my head. But it doesn't matter. Do you have to have the actual keyword or something very, very similar to the keyword itself, or does is the top is it topically re- relevant enough? That that's a point. Like humans don't think in keywords; they think more about in topics. And so, as long as it's topically relevant, you'll be fine. A lot of people obsess with having the keyword on the landing page for the sake of quality score improvements, or they try to use dynamic text replacements on the landing page so that they they have one landing page, but the keyword swaps out depending on the keyword that they're bidding on. It's not a good it's not a good focus because it kind of it, it moves your focus away from actually improving what matters, which is the overall conversion rate of the page. And that the keyword, you know, showcasing here and there on the landing page does not have much of an impact doing that. Like the bigger thing that you should focus on is what the call to action is and how you word that call to action. Those are usually the things that we found have the biggest impact from a from a you know conversion rate lift. So, so basically, SEO and SEM are the same thing. Everyone's overly obsessed with keywords. Um. I, I guess so, yeah. And, and I obviously don't know a ton about SEO, but uh, um, it, it is something where we talk to people you know, who are potential clients and prospects for us, and um, we just show them. I mean, we, we had the data to prove that we can easily do that for you, but why would you, you know, the only reason why you would want to put in the keyword there is nine times out of 10 is because people want to improve the quality score. And why would you want to improve the quality score before you increase the conversion rate, you know? Right. Okay. With all that, um, <laughs> that's a lot to chew on. So then what really is important when you're, when you're setting up your, your landing page? Obviously, you mentioned your CTAs, right? So the header doesn't yeah. I mean, the H1, I'm assuming, is big time important. What, what's more important or what's less it important? Is. It is. So, so we, we've done tests where, like, the length of the landing page depends on the, the novelty of what you're trying to sell. So what I mean by that is that the more new your product or service is where it's not common, the more explanation you need and therefore the longer the landing page. Usually that's what we see. If what you're selling or what you're offering is like not hard to understand and people you know, have, have searched for this in the past too, um, then you can actually get by with almost cutting the bottom portion of your landing page completely out and only having things that are above the fold. And the reason why is because the call to action, the offer, you know, the focus of whatever you're trying to get them to do is so important. And it's the same thing. Like if you take an example for like, let's say you're a, you're a, you're a lawyer and your call to action is book a consultation. And let's say you're a personal injury lawyer and the person who's on your page just got in an accident and they want to see if, you know, they are 
entitled to money potentially, right? The problem with the consultation wording is that that is truly what you're going to give them. But what they care more about is understanding how much they can probably expect to receive should they move forward with a lawsuit, you know, with the help of your law firm. So if you put it in terms of that and you actually say, you know, learn how much your settlement could be or see, see if you have a case, those actually have higher conversion rates, even though they both end in a consultation. It's the way that you worded it to the prospect, the visitor that's on the page that has the importance. How do and you, this is where you can get... No, I'm sorry. Go go ahead. Ahead. No, 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 you go ahead. You're the guest. I, I was going to say, this is where you can get like super creative with like using quizzes, using what we call the breadcrumb technique, which is like a multi-step form where you don't ask for the contact information up front because if a person sees that, they know they're not going to get an answer to their question right then and there. They have to talk to somebody. So if you actually start with some questions that are very, very like low threat, easy to answer, like, well, you know, were you in a car or were you a pedestrian? Like, where, where did the accident happen? How long ago was it? You know, those the questions are easy to answer. And what it makes the visitor believe is that they're going to go through this form. And on the second step, they might get an answer or get closer to the answer of the question they had. But that's where you can then ask them for their content information. So they're already invested in the process. They already micro converted on the first step. And so now they're more likely to finish the second step. And therefore, you are now able to get a consultation. The, the, the headline, the subhead, the hero image, they're also important, but they're secondarily to the call to action offer from what, what, what we found and what we're seeing. Okay, so what happens when the call to, or the, the pain point for the call to action is not so obvious, like in the lawyer case, that's pretty like, okay, yeah. I get it. But how do, you, how do you entice with the call to action? How do you, or how do you support the call to action when the pain point is not so obvious? Um, it's funny you say pain point because like literally they, that person of the That's example right. I gave might be in pain. <laughs> um, so for, for us, for example, what we, we've been testing is, um, our call to action right now is get a proposal, like a proposal to work together. Right. Right. But that might not be that enticing to, um, the prospect. So what we're also testing is like, see how fast you can grow get your free game plan of like ROI growth. Like that's obviously a longer CTA. We're not verbatimly using just that, but there's a lot of different ways because the whole point of the conversation, once we get them on the phone is that we talk about all these different things that are important to the prospect. And so we can say, you know, you know, figure out what goals you can set or things like that. So that is like a less obvious pain point, but there's a lot of things you can do to be creative with the wording that you're using even though it might still end up in a proposal, right? So that's right. the thing that people get scared about. You can still do what you want to do. You can still take them through the process. But if you explain what's most important to the prospect first, you will win more. Is the, is the other content on the page, whether it be the hero image, whether it be the H1, whether it be, whatever it is, um, you know, testimonials, mm -hmm. does, it, does it help scaffold the user to converting, to clicking on the CTA? Or is, or is it all, is it, is the process from landing on the page, looking at all the it's content. Okay, so go into that. How does that, how would, how would that work in theory? So they all have uh, an impact for sure. Um, and a lot of times we found like, you know, headline tests like H1, like you're saying, have uh, an impact of like doubling conversion rates or cutting conversion rates in, down by 50% sometimes. So they definitely have an impact too. Um, a great example was in the past, we had a, co a company that we worked with that we basically... They, they were buying cars from the general public and they would take them to auction and like make a profit. They kind of flip cars, right? And so the keywords that they were bidding on were like, sell my car, you know, what's my car worth, all that kind of stuff. And the ads that we were running in the past were like, need to sell your car, question mark. And then on the landing page, on the headline, it said, need to sell your car, question mark. 
The problem with that that we found out later, which is, everything is hindsight, right? Right. Was when, when a person's trying to sell their car, there's options they have. They can sell it to somebody themselves. They can go on Auto Trader and they can also go through the platform there or eBay Motors and sell it through there, or they can have somebody actually buy it. So if the person doesn't know who you are when they see your ad, how do they know what type of buying service you offer? So instead of like having the actual keyword match the ad headline, which is something that we speak highly of, which is something we call single keyword ad groups, we changed the headline to say, we'll buy your car today. And then on the headline on the landing page, it says, we'll buy your car today. And then we use headline two to actually uh, use the frequently asked questions, like the objections that people would have to explain some of those FAQs as answers in, in, in like the subheadline, the H2. And that got our, like, we basically got our conversion rate to about 55% uh, on a lead generation landing page where we're asking for, you know, model, make, year, and then name, email, and phone number afterwards too. So it had a, that had a big importance because there was some, you know, uncertainty from the visitor as to like, well, how am I going to sell my car with this company? So that's a fascinating example. I'm, I'm wondering, is there any way you can walk me through how you figure that out? Um, so what we basically asked, we used a poll, um, a tool called Hotjar, and we're asking people like, what's preventing you from, from converting or what's preventing you from getting an offer for your car? And a lot of the questions that we saw repeatedly were like, um, I, I don't know, you know how this works basically. Like, do you guys you know, take my car and like wait to sell it? Do you buy it from me directly, like immediately? Do you help me put it up on an auction site? Like, how, how does it work? And so when we changed it to, we'll buy your car today, it kind of removed a lot of the confusion that people would have. And they're like, oh, that's fast. Like, that would be great. Um, you know, let me at least go forward and get a quote from them or see like what the, what the offer would be on my car, you know, at that time. That's very cool. Let me, let me ask you a funny question. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but in, um, I was just talking to Greg Gifford about this. So um, the local knowledge panel has a feature called the, um, the Q&A feature. So for those of you who don't know what it is, basically you can um, ask a business any question. And business themselves can also ask and answer questions. It's basically having an FAQ within your Google business listing. Because mm -hmm. I, I hear from so many people doing you know, CRO or doing PPC, how important surveys are. Would mm -hmm. it, for a local so, business, yeah, for sure, right? Because it's, it, it's market research. For a local business, obviously for a conglomerate or international corporation, this would only, wouldn't apply. But how often do you or do you, do you think PPC experts go through and look at what questions are being asked to a local business in their Google business listing or look at the reviews and what people are talking about and try to do market research through the local listing itself? Is that something you guys do? It's rare that we do that ourselves. Um, we usually use the, the client's own first-party data, and they, they usually don't come to us with it ready. Like We have to get it ourselves. So we kind of create landing pages to begin with based off our own principles and experience of what we know works. And then from there, we, we run the poll at the same time, and then we learn things as we go along. But we've already like actually you know, launched our, our first landing page to begin with. Awesome. Okay. So I, have to, I feel obliged to do this because I just have to do this. I'm going to ask you two very general questions. I mean, because we yeah. generally, you know, we speak about SEO a lot here and getting the PPC and to, to, um, to SEM. So I want to make sure that everybody's sort of with me here. When dealing with landing pages, what are some of the, the things that you see that people miss often? And what are these, what are some of the things you think that people get wrong when, uh, or mistakes they make with CTAs? They, they don't experiment, like, like I mentioned before, like with the wording, right? Like they don't understand what is more interesting in the eyes of the visitor versus what they want and care about, like the consultation example. And a lot of times they will focus on colors. They'll focus on other parts of the 
landing page, like the sections, let's say they're uh, the testimonial, another piece of social proof, things like that. And while they're important, they don't prioritize these sections. And so they can really easily do that by figuring out, well, what's the average time spent on my page? How deep do they scroll? And this is something you use with like Google Analytics and Hotjar. And from there, you'll see that obviously most people don't scroll all the way down and they also don't stay on the page long enough to read everything that you're writing. And so that kind of shows you either you have potentially bad traffic or you should focus on where the immediate attention is, which is usually above the fold. And that's where the call to action is going to be so, so huge. And then after that comes the headline one, headline two, the hero image, and then everything below the fold. Okay. So let me, let me ask you a funny sort of question now that we're sort of done with, with landing pages for the moment. You know, you you alluded to this before a little bit, so I was wondering if you'd actually expound on it. But when you're when you're dealing with your your ad itself, the Google ad itself versus the landing page that you you want to match it to, what do you, when when trying to cater to a particular intent or trying to cater to a particular target audience, what do you do? Do you rather change the landing page to match the the Google ad, or do you change the the Google ad to to to, um, to align to the to the landing page? Because where do you start with the ad itself, and then the landing page, or the landing page, and then the ad? Yeah. So, so as you probably heard, like, I don't care much about the ad itself. If I could in a perfect world, I, I would work my way backwards. Meaning like, let's say that I'm um, doing Google ads for lead gen purposes, right? Well, if that's the case, then I have traffic, I have conversion for the lead. And then I have the sale, which is like the manual follow-up process. If I could, but I'm not working in the actual business, I would work on improving my closing rates, my follow-up game for the leads that I'm getting. Um, so that I can afford a higher cost per acquisition down the road. And then after I improve that, then I would improve conversion rates. And then I would improve the ad side after that. That makes a lot of sense. Is that because it just, it just, is that because it's easier or is that because you just find it more impactful? It's easier because when you lift conversion rates, what happens is you increase your conversion volume and you decrease your cost per conversion. So everything that you're doing in the, in the Google side or the Facebook side or any PVC platform makes it a lot easier. Like you can afford now to bid more aggressively, for example, and things like that too. So it just, it makes your life easier when you do it that way. I got it. Okay. You mentioned something before, you're talking about above the fold and it, it just sparked a question to me. I don't know if you can speak to this or you can't speak to this. All the SEO folks who are listening to this will surely appreciate it if you could. So feature snippets are like the, the godsend of all things SEO, right? They're like manna from heaven. Um, but one of the things that you have to realize with the feature snippet is that it's on the top of the SERP, but the ads appear above it. So in the instance where you do have a feature snippet with an ad or a mm -hmm. couple of ads above it, do you fear the feature snippet? You're like, yeah, feature snippet. People are just going to click on the ads because that's higher up above the fold. I, I'm not too worried about it. So I, I feel like I'm on the side of the fence that Google wants to improve and make lives easier for. So I'm not too worried about that because a lot of the updates and things like that have made it easier for us, in my opinion, versus like the SEO people on the other side of the fence. So I don't, I don't worry too much about that at all. So you're, okay, so the mobile service got redesigned, you know, you have the, um, the colorless ad label and the URLs got smaller and they got, oh, they also went colorless and, and whatnot. Was that a big win for you guys? Are you PPC folks? Not, not, not that we noticed from a click through rate perspective, like that would be the biggest change that we would notice, but we didn't really see that. That's interesting. Cause everyone's freaking out on my side of the, uh, of the table. I can imagine. Well, it's good to know. All right. So freak out no more. <laughs> okay. Let me ask you just one last, one last question before we move on to the next bit. But um, 
Okay, so let me just you know sum up our conversation here just by asking you uh, if you have any other tips, any other recommendations, any other things to consider when it comes to getting your Google ads to convert. So I'll give you I'll give you some links that we have too. And one really really important thing is um, what we call PPC temperatures. So all traffic does not behave the same way, and that's really important because you can't get it all to convert. You can't get display advertising, you know, YouTube advertising, different types of search advertising to work the same way too. So it's really important to follow that scale and make sure you're matching it with your call to action. And then the granularity aspect of, um, of having campaigns and ad groups that are pretty simple allows you to find things that are not working quicker versus having like a ton of keywords in one ad group, for example, or a ton of layers of targeting of audiences, let's say for Facebook, because you can't see the breakdown individually too. So those are the things that you would want to keep in mind to make your life easier to get better performance, you know, from conversion rates, but also just business performance in general, um, as you go along. That's really a good point about the, uh, the, the, uh, the groupings. That's really important for the SEO on, on the SEO side also, but yeah, is that because you can no. sort of tell, yeah, can you sort of see like how, let's say for example, with Google ads, you've, you've set up your, your, your keywords into groups. Do you use that information to sort of see how Google's viewing you, how it's profiling you? Like you, I'm scoring really well for all these keywords, but not for these keywords. No, I mean, the biggest, the biggest score is obviously quality score and the biggest component of quality score is click-through rate. So if you can beat the average click-through rate with your ads, then you will have a higher quality score. And that's, that's where we take it like one keyword at a time, but it's also very, very far down the list on the priority side, because while quality score can help reduce your cost per click, like I mentioned earlier, like improving conversion rates is, is a quicker way to go about it. And then doing the quality score aspect after that. Okay. Awesome. Got it. All right. So that was really, really fluid. That was really, really fascinating actually, and highly entertaining. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, hundred percent. That was, that was, you blew me out of the water, but now I have to do something <laughs> horrible to you. So I have this little shtick that I do. Um, I call it optimize it or disavow it. It's where I give you either two uh -huh. really good options or two really crappy options and you're stuck either choosing one really good option over another or choosing something you don't really want to choose to begin with. So, yeah, yeah this is the, <laughs> it's my favorite thing in the whole world. It's the, my, it's the Jonathan Dane version <laughs> of optimize it or disavow it. So it's a zero sum world, all right? And your choice, you're stuck either between, uh, between either running Google ads and nothing else. No Facebook, okay. no Bing. If people run Bing ads, and though Bing ads, their their platform is pretty big, actually, right? And a lot of improvements um, to it. I mean, they're 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 trying. Everything, everything that Google comes out with, they then come out with later. So uh, we love them. We have a great Bing team, but they're they're far from a from a market share perspective when it comes to Google. Right, right, right. I, I only meant to say that like, they actually make a lot of. I mean, not so much this year I've seen, but in years past they've made like a ton of adjustments to their to their uh, platform. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. No, they're, go, they're doing go, good work. Go I mean, they got, they also got LinkedIn now. So they, they have a lot of uh, cool things going for them. Right. Okay. No one really cares. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Let's start over again. You can either run Google ads and nothing else, no Bing, no Facebook, no LinkedIn, no whatever. Or you can run everything else, but no Google ads. Which do you pick? So there's two answers to this. The first one, just to entertain the question, is I would run everything else. I would not run Google Ads. Now, if you told me which business I was running ads for, I would change my answer. <laughs> okay, you know, so give me a case where you would run with Google Ads and a business where you wouldn't run with Google Ads. 
So when, uh, when, when search intent is really important, I would run with Google ads, like, like, like the personal injury lawyer, for example. It's really, really hard to target people on other platforms that are not searching for help in that way. Like Facebook, for example, like that's, it's pretty impossible to get somebody to want to, you know, to meet them at the right time because you don't have much signals in regards to them just being in an accident, for example, that's tough. And so that raising of the hand, which Google allows you to do, to target people in a reactive fashion, is uh is really really cool in that way but um let's say that i was uh oh here, here's a good example there was this you know like bath bombs that you throw like the circular things that fizz out in like the actual bath um nope you've never seen those i never see them no i, I asked me the last time i took a bath was <laughs> no okay i was like well, four listening probably so you can you can throw this like fizzy bath bomb in your tub that basically gives you like a ton of soap and it's kind of funny and it like it, it like bubbles and stuff like that all right so there was a company so anyway, that made is it like throwing thing. a firecracker in the, in the bathtub That'd be a horrible yeah, thing to do without somebody. the explosion. It's uh, like kind of so that's <laughs> not, not as fun. fun. All right, fine, I get it. Yeah, but but there was a company out there that made the equivalent, but for fishing. So they had like all like <laughs> the, the fence and like the the bait chunks and all that kind of stuff in the circular thing that you just throw in like the lake or the ocean or whatever, and it would give like a swirl of like you know excitement for the fish, and so you would also then have your hook and line in there, because nobody knows that, that product exists you have to do a much better way of like selling it and advertising it and marketing it through something like Facebook because you can now use videos. You can now use images. You can use carousel ads, all that kind of stuff. So that would not make sense to do on like Google search. It might make sense on YouTube actually, but that's why like that was so impressive and doing so well. Same thing with like meal kits these days because there's a lot more creative freedom of storytelling and creativity versus just like Google has. And so that's where like the, the, the answer would differ. All right, so that's a really great point, but I have to go back. There's a fish bomb. That's first of all, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, that's cheating. I'll, uh, I'll find the link and send it to you. Yeah, okay. I know, right? It's, it's that's like ridiculous. Cheating. I mean, I love fishing. Like, well, how could you possibly do that? Like, first of all, why would you go fishing? If that's what you're going to do, just don't go fishing. Just go buy a salmon in the supermarket. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they just wanted to try it. It's a novelty item, perhaps. Like, they will never buy it again, but I've seen it and, I, and it, worked, it worked. And there was some article written about that specific product when it came to Facebook ads. So. So, so like, yeah. what, what would Jaws be like? They just like throw a fish bomb at it? And then yeah, the you would it? throw it far away from you so it wouldn't attack your boat. That would be the smartest thing to do. That's I smart. Think. That's smart. That's smart. They should have it in <laughs> Australia so you don't get eaten by a shark when you're surfing. Yeah. Right. You just have like a pack of 20 <laughs> while you go surfing. So like every, every three minutes, you just have to throw one out and remember to do it. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> All right, Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on. That'll do it of for course. us. But uh, that was fascinating, <laughs> especially if you were lying about right. fish bombs. Thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you got it. And we are back to your regularly scheduled in search SEO podcast. Learned a ton. I, he really like went into a lot of great detail and a lot of great cases. And in this, I like when I love when the interviewers go into interviewees rather go into what has worked in particular for them. Because mm-hmm. I always find that I, it's, I always find that's where I learn the most. Right. Okay. By the way, I'm secure in myself. <laughs> Um, in general. <laughs> Good to know. Yep, that's why I'll... I, I, Love yourself, Morty. I am... Uh, we'll let it out. I'm, I'm secure <laughs> enough in myself to admit that was very helpful for me because I don't focus on Google Ads as much as I would like to. Mm-hmm. So, I can admit that. Okay. Yeah, okay, with that, uh, and something I've been thinking about more and more recently, just uh, it's weird, why it's, I know it's random why I'm thinking about this. You don't know what I'm thinking about yet because I haven't said it, but... Um, just say it. Uh, okay, single... Keyword ad groups. Mm-hmm. I've just been thinking about that lately for our, from our own PVC efforts. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking about that. Anyway, um, which leads us to the Rank Ranger community question of the week. 
Are you a fan of single keyword ad groups? Huh, look at that. I was wow, thinking about shocking. single keyword ad groups, and somehow that made its way to the uh-huh. question of the week. Wow, How did that, that work? Who writes that question? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, do you like single keyword ad groups? I've heard a lot of people recommend them uh, as of late. Or are you more of a traditionalist and you like to go with multiple keywords for your ad groups? Which, by the way, uh, brings us to last week's question where we asked, what makes for a good SEO webinar? We had the great Anton Shulka on last week and we were talking all about SEO webinars. So I asked you, we asked you, Rink Ranger asked you, Sapir asked you. I, I asked. You asked. It's right, you asked. I'm sorry. <laughs> credit, give credit where credit is due. Sapir asked it. Right. Okay, okay answer. Answer. Well, a lot of answers out there. Um, Peter Santa Maria. Peter Santa Maria from LinkedIn wrote um, that it is about the content of the show, not about the personalities. That's my opinion. So I think we get lost. I like this answer because I think we get lost in SEO personalities a lot. Mm. And it brings us to a wider point about um, what are they called they, when they have a big influencers, right? <laughs> right. Influencer marketing. <laughs> uh, I think, and this is my personal opinion, it's anecdotal. I'm basing this on absolutely nothing other than personal feel. I think the age of the micro-influencer is upon us. Meaning, you have these big names, and it could be an SEO, it could be whatever industry you're in. Mm-hmm. Okay? And then there is value in them. But like like Peter is saying, like he wants to know more about the topic than the, than the, than the person, the name per se. Right. I think one of the ways of getting that really great conversation that you're looking for out of a particular topic is to go with a micro-influencer. Someone mm-hmm. who's knows what they're talking about. They're connected to the industry. They know a lot of good people. Um, and you can have a really solid conversation with them about that, whatever topic you're talking about. Oh, someone like you. Call me micro. <laughs> Sorry, you're, you're a oh, huge. Huge. It's going to be huge. Wow, Morty. <laughs> Sorry, I, I don't, my I, don't, I don't even consider myself a micro influence. Oh, oh, I have a plug for you. I forgot <laughs> to plug this. Um, starting, I haven't tell you this yet. Okay. Yes, yeah, starting in two weeks, mm-hmm. um, the beginning of September, I will be hosting, I'll be one of the hosts, the alternating weeks of SEO chat on Twitter. Oh. Hashtag SEO chat. Nice. So that's, um, um, that's every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern. That's in America Eastern time. Thank you, Morgan. Yep, you're welcome. You can, <laughs> you can possibly tune into SEO chat to mm-hmm. hear, or not, or to hear to, um, be hosted by by me. Oh wow! Or other weeks, other people, the like Karen and Leiden, who's awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> don't forget to answer our Rank Ranger SEO community question of the week. You can find it on Twitter. You can find it on Facebook. You can find it on LinkedIn. You can find it on the Rank Ranger blog that hosts this podcast. I'm sure you can find it a bunch of other places. I cannot possibly list off the top of my head. I am talking way too fast because we have to move on. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. Uh, SEO news. Yes. Let's. All right. Up here. Hit it with the news. <laughs> Okay, Google put out a blog post explaining what happened with an April bug that caused some major indexing issues. However, not all in the industry found the explanation helpful. To quote Sir Barry Schwartz, Google's indexing bugs explanation is a weak postmortem. Yeah, basically all they said was, so yeah, well, well we had a problem, you know, a couple of issues with our data centers. That was helpful. Very helpful. That was detailed. Let's move on. Let's no. Let's let's talk about that more. Yeah, <laughs> no, <I'm not>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
say anymore, dude. Okay. Oh. My, my lack of talking about it is enough it's conveying the message that I <laughs> right. think, yeah. Okay. That's a weak explanation. I okay. Hope, I hope they tell us that again shush, next time. Shush. Okay. Yep. I'll stop. <laughs> Google announced that your sh- shopping campaigns within Google Ads will also get an optimization score. Ooh, now shopping ads get an optimization score also. Hope they have any issues with their data center. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> and you get a score and you get a score. And I'm Oprah. Let's move on. Oprah. So, Morty, it's finally here. Well, okay. almost here. Kiss Google Ads average position metric goodbye as of September 30th. Wow, that was way more not exciting than <laughs> you made it sound. Isn't it exciting? That's a bad thing. Kissing goodbye, Morty. Yeah, because now I get like... Now I get metrics like absolute top impression or top <laughs> impression. Okay. Because that's as helpful as the average rank. Um, people might have. No, no. Some people, like, there are some people who do like the top impression, meaning like, are you at the top of your ad group or mm-hmm. not? Yeah. That, yeah. Okay. I don't, I don't, I don't particularly think it's more helpful, but if you do, you probably know more than me because <laughs> I'm not a Google ads expert. Also, yeah. Sorry for your loss. Okay. <laughs> Google is now allowing hotels to edit the uh, um, amenities they offer within their Google My Business listing. And you get a spar of soap. <laughs> I want I want to see hotel listing get crazy with this, like free soap, take as much as you want, or like free robes. I mean, it's you a wanna, great, it's a it's a deal breaker for you. Me. You want to steal the robe? Go ahead, our hotel. You oh, can steal yeah. the robe. Nice. Okay. Take the bath mat. <laughs> take that's disgusting. Okay, um, lastly, we have a couple of items on the Google Ads front. So, Google will be allowing ads for fantasy sports league services. This is interesting because the leagues are a form of gambling. Okay, so okay, let me let me explain for Do you know what a fort uh, what a fort? Do you know what a sports fantasy league yeah. is? Yeah. You do? I no. <laughs> <laughs> like what? No you don't. Okay. So let's say there's a league like American football, the NFL. Mm-hmm. So what you do is you draft players. You let's say five other people. Um Usually other other people have absolutely no like lives whatsoever. Like way too much time in their hands like to do this. You. I do not do fantasy sports. Okay. I don't have time for that. I really don't. Who has <laughs> time for that? But if you are out there and you're listening, don't be offended because that's awesome that you do this. So you can draft players. Like there's mm-hmm. all let's say there's a thousand players in the National Football League, and you all draft the players, and based upon how those players perform, if one scores a touchdown or if one gets a hundred yards, you get you know points. Mm-hmm. Wow, well, I, I, I thought you win. I thought you put money sports. on this. Is like completely different. Oh, that's <laughs> mine is in the gutter. You're basically matching Tom Brady to jockstrap. That's oh, what you're telling so me. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Um, uh. <laughs> so wait, wait, wait. Let's add on one thing. I think the reason why this is becoming legal mm-hmm. or allowed by Google mm-hmm. rather is because sports gambling in the U.S. is becoming legal. Mm. Or the, the Supreme Court a couple of months ago, I believe, ruled that sports gambling will be up to the states to decide if they want to legalize it or not, and that everyone's legalizing it. And even the actual like leagues, like the NBA, has sort of at this point embraced the idea of sports gambling. So why shouldn't Google at this point? Mm. I see. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. Interesting. A little context for you. This is why it pays to keep up with sports, right, Morty? <laughs> right. <laughs> also, okay. so I can imagine Tom Brady and his jockstrap. Are you done? Yep. Okay. Done. Leslie. There have been a lot of reports of Google uh, trun- truncating ad copy. So keep an eye on that. Yeah, keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on that, Morty. Which, no, it's not good. You were looking, <laughs> I, 
it wasn't me who had my mind in the gutter about sports <laughs> fantasy league. Listen, I spend way too much time with you. It's just like, yeah. <laughs> I'm right. I'm, I'm, don't blame this on me. I'm not a bad influence. <laughs> I'm a terrible. No, I'm a good person. What are you talking about? Okay, Sapir. Yeah. Let's move on from that before Let's we just on. totally lose the audience in your fantasy life. <laughs> Thank you for the news. You're welcome. Um, and now, our latest segment, Revenge of Sapir. What? As I'm about to get my butt kicked by Sapir's oh, fun yeah. SEO send-off <laughs> question. Hit the music. Okay. Before we get to this week's fun SEO send-off question, our dear, um, hardworking <laughs> podcast <laughs> editor, Levy, really wanted to answer last week's because Sapir's losing it. He really wanted to answer last week's question, <laughs> oh which God. was, if Google was a TV show character, which character would it be? And I take no responsibility <laughs> for this answer. <laughs> and and Levy, I, I think you're doing drugs. <laughs> I'm going to say that in advance. Because Levy said, again, the question was from last week, if Google was a TV show character, which character would it be? Levy answered, the man from another place from Twin Peaks. He knows what you're searching for, but will only answer in cryptic clues. I don't understand. I have no idea what he meant, but that, thank you, Levy. That sounds scary. <laughs> well, it's a good opportunity to mention that anyone can add us on Twitter with the answers to the fun send-off question, and we'll be ha- happy to, you know, uh, listen your to your... Yeah. And we'll try to put out a banner where you will ask the question. Right. So it could be out there for you. You can simply answer our fun questions, and hopefully your answer makes a heck of a lot more sense than Levy. <laughs> Levy, you, you just walked into like the, 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 the tiger's cage here, dude. Oh, boy. Okay. We you, love, we, Thank you, Levy. We love you anyway, even though that didn't make any sense. <laughs> Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. This is your question, right? Are you ready? Yeah, I misunderstood the question. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, I have to say, this is the best fun SEO question we ever had on this yeah, podcast. Yeah, of course you're going to say that because you asked <laughs> And I'm not biased. Okay. so much crap for my questions. I'm the best one. Yours are terrible. Go ahead. Okay, listen. If Google was a soap opera, what will it be called and what kind of show it'll be? Like synopsis-wise. If it was a soap opera? Yes. Wow, such a good question. I wonder Can I answer? Can I answer? I have it all figured out. Listen, okay. So it's gonna... (laughs) I can't get a word in. (laughs) Okay, imagine this. Rankings of our lives. And you know, like, I okay. Listen, uh-huh. listen. okay. I'm listening. <laughs> Every day, different URLs fight for the top spot, and not only that, brothers, as in different pages from the same domain, oh, that's cute. turn on each other for a simple keyword, no less, and also forbidden love between two different SERP features. I'm telling you, Morty, Romeo and Juliet got nothing on them. So prepare your tissues. Yeah, you've, 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 you've really thought about this a lot. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, you're killing me here. My, my grandmother loves soap operas. She didn't stop loving soap operas. When I say she loves so- soap operas, I'm not saying she stopped loving soap operas. She just died. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, so now, now she's now in heaven watching soap operas. Okay. <laughs> Can I say? I don't get it. The, the acting is crap. The storylines are both crap and predictable. And, and, and so I don't I mean to insult anybody who likes them, but why would you ever watch a soap opera? It's crap. Because that's my answer. It's crap. <laughs> wow. I'm a cranky old man. Wow, you are. Okay. okay. You know what? Fine. Fine. I, I, I spent some time on this because you ask me a question, you'll get an answer. Just got to be careful. What you, By the you, way, 
I need to defend myself. I don't watch American soap operas. Okay. What do you watch then? Korean soap operas. <laughs> that's probably much better. <laughs> it is. Okay, so you have to be careful when you ask me a question because I'm a cynical. Oh, well, I'm looking forward to it. Come on, SOB, come on. Be and you need to be careful what you wish for. Okay. So here we go. Okay. And I have notes on this. Hold on. Okay. All right. Soap opera. Okay. So, so, in my <laughs> Google soap opera of sorts, um, um, okay. Uh, here's what here, I, I'll give you the synopsis first, and I'll tell you the title. Okay. Okay. So my Google soap opera surf features of all kinds will be sleeping with all other sorts of surf features who are already married to other surf features. <laughs> Except since mine is a more realistic, modern take on the soap opera, all of these, you know, surp, surp features that are sleeping around will get digital syphilis. Oh, my God. Okay? Wait, I'm not done. <laughs> and those that didn't get digital syphilis would just get pregnant. But since, I'm not done, but since these promiscuous surp features are all related, the surp feature babies would unfortunately have oh, all no. sorts of birth defects. Oh, no. So, like, the content in the baby knowledge panel would look like weird code, and the images would be upside down. Really terrible, terrible disfigurations. And I, I guess I'd have to call this show, um, <laughs> I would call it the All My Disfigured Serp Featured Children, but at least they don't have digital syphilis show. Oh. Mic drop. Oh, wow. Look, I would, I would watch the heck out of this show <laughs> why would you watch that it sounds terrible it sounds so entertaining yeah on that note thank you for tuning into this I don't know what you want to call that but tuning into the In Search SEO podcast we hope you'll tune it again even after that last segment for an all new episode each and every Tuesday it's In Search because we're all in search of something like beautiful syphilis thank you yeah.